I've heard that you have to either be first, best, or different. And I'm not the first person to do this. I don't even think I'm the best person to do this. Definitely not when it comes to cooking. <laughs> I'm not yeah. a professional chef. For, you know, I mean, Alton Brown yeah. does it a lot better than I do. Mm -hmm. But I am different. And that's the cool thing with YouTube. It is YouTube. It is all about the person who is in front of the camera. Someone could cover the exact same dish and the exact same history that I do. And the videos will be different because I bring my personality to it. In a world of career uncertainty, there is one variable you have total control over, yourself. Welcome to Forever Employable Stories, where expert digital transformation consultant and successful entrepreneur Jeff Gotthelf will share conversations with unique and inspiring individuals who have taken charge of their professional lives, leveraged their expertise, built an audience, and future-proofed their careers so you can learn how to do the same. Here's your host, Jeff Gotthelf. Let's face it, getting laid off sucks. Getting laid off in a pandemic sucks even worse. In this episode, we talked to Max Miller, who had a terrific marketing job with Disney, and then COVID hit, and he lost his job. And he was sitting around trying to figure out what to do, waiting for his job to come back, when he realized that he had a passion, a passion for baking, a passion for cooking, a passion for history. He took those elements... And he put together one of the more successful YouTube channels of the last two years called Tasting History. In the time since its launch, Max's YouTube channel has picked up nearly a million subscribers. And in doing so, has transformed him from a marketing executive at Disney to a full-time YouTuber, content creator, and cookbook author. In our conversation, we talk about that transition. We talk about what it takes to get up again after getting furloughed and not knowing when that job or if that job is even going to come back. And then looking at the things that you love to do and the opportunities that you have and how to start to build a personal brand and a content library around it that resonates with a huge audience. I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Take a listen. Hey folks, uh, welcome back to another Forever Employable Story. I'm super excited to welcome my guest for this episode. His name is Max Miller. Max Miller has over 800,000 subscribers on YouTube. In fact, I just checked that. So it's 818,000 to be exact. He's built an incredible following online around the concept of food, but not just food, also the history of food. So what goes into the recipes that we make? Where do they come from? And can we recreate recipes from the past and bring food back to life? He's here to share his story with us today and to give us a ton more insight on how to turn the things that we're passionate about into the things that we do every day. Max, welcome to Forever Employable Stories. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. By the way, I noticed that about a month ago on your channel, you did an episode on a pastry called Coca de Saint Juan. Yes. And Coca de Saint Juan is a Catalan pastry. And as someone who lives in Catalonia, that's me, I live in Barcelona, I've had the pleasure of having several of those cookers over the years, and there are a lot of good stories behind that, as you do share in your video. Definitely. I hope to get to visit one day and have one made from one of the many bakeries that pride themselves on their <laughs> cocas. No problem. I know a guy. So when you come to town, <laughs> let me know. That's yeah, several guys. Cool. So let's jump into it. So before we get into kind of the specifics of it, 
love for you to tell the folks a little bit about yourself. What did you grow up? What did you want to be when you got older? That type of thing, sort of a little bit about your history. Yeah. So I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, depending on how old I was, I wanted to be everything from a marine biologist to a cardiovascular surgeon, but I pretty much ended up wanting to be on Broadway. I wanted to do musical theater for a living. And that's what I ended up kind of going to school for, more classical singing. And then I moved to New York and pursued musical theater for about eight years, made a living doing it, but it was very stressful and very inconsistent work. Mm. Sometimes you're living the high life and then sometimes you're going to the diner and stealing crackers. <laughs> so I had done that in my 20s. I was good, good on that. And then I moved to Los Angeles. I started out pursuing voice acting, but then I actually got a job at Walt Disney Studios behind the scenes working in marketing. And I really loved it mm. and loved the lifestyle a little bit more. And also really enjoyed the work and the people that I was working with and loved Disney. Always been a big Disney fan. So I worked there for, gosh, about seven years. Wow. Nice. It's interesting. I know. I noticed in your bio that you've done some production work for Audible as well. And I, someone who's hired folks from Audible to read books either that I've written and, and books that we published in the past, mm-hmm. that, that's super impressive, by the way, the work that comes out of that as well. So. Yeah. Super interesting. So that's great. So voice acting, musical theater, behind the scenes at Disney, right? I don't hear a lot in there about cooking or baking, <laughs> right? right? And so where did that inspiration come from? The Great British Bake Off. I mean, I've always loved eating. <laughs> yeah. That is my vice. Some people have, you know, alcohol or drugs. I have baked goods. So I watched The Great British Bake Off about seven years ago watched an entire season in a couple of days with a friend and I recreated everything on the show, just fell in love with it. I had never baked myself. And so I kind of taught myself in a way or rather learned from the show how to bake. And a lot of the things on the show were historical bakes, things mm. that were popular in the 18th century and 19th century. And they would talk a little bit about the history of them. So I kind of made this connection between the baking and the history because I've always loved history. So that's really what drew me in. And I just fell in love with it, fell in love with the process, fell in love with all of the different things that I could make and share with friends and impress them with my culinary skills, which were new, but something that I had a bit of a knack for. That's cool. And so you get inspired by a TV show. Look, a lot of folks get inspired by stuff that they see on TV or on YouTube yeah. or whatever it is. And they say, look, I can do that or I can practice that or I can learn from that. I see that in my kids as well. But you realize, hey, there's an opportunity here to maybe share this. Or at least, how did you actually get a sense of whether there was an audience for these ideas? How did you even get a sense that there might be an opportunity to take this newfound, call it a hobby? Is that fair? Yeah. At least yeah. initially, right? Definitely. And share it with others, other than people like giving food to people and letting them eat it, right? That's obvious people are going to eat it, right? But how did you get a sense that there was an audience or that might be a potential for an audience for these ideas? So I would bake on Sundays and I would bring that stuff into work on Mondays. Mm -hmm. And if it was in the house, I was going to eat it all. So I would bring it into work and let everybody else eat it. And it was kind of 
the deal was, if you want to eat the chocolate croissants that I made, then you're going to have to listen to a little history lesson on Uh, chocolate croissants. All right. All right. And, you know, a lot of people actually found it rather interesting. People who aren't necessarily into history or anything like that. And at a Christmas party in 2019 at work, one of my coworkers said, you know what? You should put this on YouTube. People here enjoy it. So why not other people? And I was like, oh, that's crazy. But I did. And it worked. (laughs) Yeah, amazing. (laughs) Thanks, friend, from work. No, definitely. It's interesting. Like a lot of the times, the conversations that I've had with folks who are attempting to do something like you are trying to trying to build this kind of whether it's content or to share their expertise or to share their passions, to take steps towards becoming forever employed, well, they look for places to start. They look for those initial opportunities. And one of the things that I always say to them is look to where you currently have people that will pay attention to you, right? And work is a really great example of this, right? So if you've got something to share and you can bribe people with chocolate croissants in your case, or, <laughs> right? right? But whatever, like pizza or whatever it takes, right? To get them there and to get them to listen, that's your first audience. That's a great way to start to get some feedback on whether or not you've actually got something that people want to hear, yeah. some people want to pay attention to. So your friend says, start a YouTube channel. And you said, okay, why not? What did you know about doing that before you started the YouTube channel? So I didn't think I knew anything. Mm. And it's interesting because I watch a lot of YouTube. So other than just kind of absorbing stuff through watching things, I didn't think I knew much. But I followed one YouTuber named Grand Stefan, who was or is a finance YouTuber. But he also had a course. He had some videos, but then also put out a course on how to create a YouTube channel. And I ended up buying that course and just kind of following his blueprint. Hmm. And there are other channels also that, you know, are kind of like how to start a YouTube channel. And they really focus on that kind of very beginning how to get to a thousand subscribers, basically, and all of the very early things about starting a YouTube channel. And so that's really how I learned most of that. One of the most important things that I knew, but didn't know that I knew, was storytelling and Mm. pacing and really how to craft a video. And that's truly the hardest thing about YouTube because that's the artistic side. That's the, you know, getting people to watch through a video. And that I had learned through all of the, I don't want to say failed careers that I had had, but (laughs) the careers that I had dabbled in and then abandoned. Hmm. Musical theater, acting in general, voice acting. I used to, I've dabbled in writing and writing short stories and novels. All of that, I did some editing or rather watched editors at work at Disney. So pulling all of that together is really how I learned storytelling. And that's what YouTube is all about. I love that. I love that because, you know, we do things when we're younger, whether it's before we start our official career or the first few positions that we take in the early parts of our career. And then a lot of times I think people dismiss that. Ah, you know, it was my first job or I was really broke back then. So I did whatever. And it's interesting because there is something to learn from all of those, right? So you've picked up storytelling, which is such a critical skill set, right? 
in Forever Employable, I talk about, I used to be a touring musician, played piano and touring bands forever. And people say, well, what did you learn from that? Well, first of all, I learned to be an entrepreneur. Bands are startups. Right? Yeah. I learned how to run a business. I learned what it took to get a business off the ground, to point five people in the same direction every night of the week, right? And so you learn from these early experiences. And if you can kind of look back, seek that inspiration from back then, it can really help you in the things that you're trying to do today, especially as you're trying to sort of branch out and do different things. So that's amazing. So you're really good at storytelling. And if you kind of look back at your early videos, kind of what do you think wasn't so good back then that you've improved on since then? Everything. I mean, I think, and that's just the nature of the beast. The more you do something, the better you're going to get. If you're not getting better, then there's something wrong. You're not paying attention to what you're doing. You know, I try to learn something every single week, not just actual content, but, you know, my process, my editing is a lot tighter than it used to be. It's a lot funnier than it used to be adding in more jokes. Some people don't like them because they're dumb jokes, but some people do like them and I like them. And that's, that's really what matters is that you have to like what you're doing. But Mm -hmm. my storytelling in general, the first few episodes were very much fact, 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 just kind of a list of facts. But very quickly, I learned to string it into more of an arc, beginning and middle and end. It sounds simple, but it's not easy to do all the time, especially when those facts don't easily string together. Sometimes you kind of have to figure out how to smash them together so it is coherent. I also think just being on camera, you look at my early videos, you can tell that I'm nervous. You can tell Mm. that I'm not comfortable being myself. And now I'm super comfortable being myself on camera. Eventually, you just kind of give up and whatever comes out, comes out. And that is actually what people prefer to watch because if you're comfortable, they're comfortable. If you're nervous, they're nervous. They might not even know why they're nervous, but it's not a good feeling. That's really good advice, right? So the comfort comes from practice and just doing it and and kind of challenging that anxiety and putting it out there. So some clarification. So do you do your own editing of these videos? Got it. And are they scripted? Oh, yes. Yeah. Word for word. Almost to the word. What ends up being on camera is not necessarily what's in the script. But when I write a script, it is word for word. It's not just a bullet point outline. I script absolutely everything to the word. And then I'll kind of read a few paragraphs to myself and then look at the camera and regurgitate that. And obviously, it changes slightly. So it's more natural and in my own voice, even though I wrote it. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, I've tried to do bullet points, but I tend to go um and uh, a lot if I do mm. that. Got it. Okay. That's really good advice, right? So some folks can wing it really well and then other folks, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Write down every word as it'll be there. Amazing. Why do you think the channel's become so popular? I mean, 818,000 subs when I checked earlier today. That's a lot. It's a lot of people who want to know, like, why? What's clicking with folks? You know, part of it, I think, is I was fortunate to start it at a time when people needed a little bit of an escape. Mm. They needed something that had absolutely nothing to do with what was going on in the current world. And funny history food kind of that hits some buttons. So I think that that's part of it. It's a little bit of an escape. But It's universal. Food is universal. Everybody eats. Everybody likes stories. They say they don't like history, but if it's told in a story format, then they do like it. That's why 
movies based on history often do very well. So I think that that kind of all of that stuff together, it's just easy to watch. My videos are very easy to watch, I think. Mm. Granted, there's a lot of information in them and I try not to dumb things down, but you can also just kind of sit there and take it all in and you're fine. You're good to go. That's great. And again, I think that that's part of it, right? It's part of the storytelling. It's part of the mood. It's part of the relaxed sense of it all. If this is something that always makes me feel good when I watch it, keep watching it, right? I mean, that's the thing. Just really quick as an aside, what qualifies as an ancient recipe? Like what makes the cut? What doesn't make the cut? Well, so for me, I don't just do ancient. I'll do anything from history. So I'll go back to the early 1900s. I'm even kind of looking at some of the weird jello recipes of the 1950s. I do like doing the ancient recipes going from medieval to, for me, ancient is anything basically before the fall of Rome. Okay. So (laughs) ancient Rome, ancient Egypt, Babylon, those kinds of things. But there's a limited number of recipes when you go there. As you move later on in history, recipes become more common, especially if you want to do anything that's outside of Europe. You have to go later because recipe writing was not really a thing that many cultures practiced in abundance. That's until fairly late, like the 15, 1600s, you start seeing ones coming out of the Far East and stuff like that. So Middle East, around the Middle Got Ages. Got it. Cool. Earlier, when we were talking about your career, you talked about being Disney, not Disney as the pandemic hit, as COVID hit you ended up getting furloughed from Disney and a lot of folks got furloughed. A lot of folks got laid off. It's a tough time for a lot of folks. A lot of folks would see that as a setback in their career, right? This is, you know, a really tough time for me. Why me? That type of thing. How did you approach that time? And what did you end up doing with that time? I definitely saw it as a setback because I had just gotten a new position that Mm. I loved and You know, I was working with people that I loved. The ball was going and then it just stopped all of a sudden. I used that time to build tasting history, but it was never my thought, well, I'm going to make this into a money-making career. This is a great opportunity. No, it was because my fiance was still working at home. And so I just had to stay out of his hair. And Mm. so I had to go upstairs and watch TV all day. And I would take breaks and work on the channel because I just needed, you know, you couldn't leave the house and I couldn't bug him. So it was something to keep me busy. So that's really what I did with my furlough was work on tasting history because I had to. Right. But I think there's a lot to take away from that, right? I mean, it is a setback. I've been laid off enough times in my career to know what that feels like. And it sucks. Let's just say it, right? Yeah. And even a furlough, is not a technical layoff, but it feels like it, yeah. right? And it sucks. There's going to be a few days there where you kind of have to lick your wounds and, and feel better about it. But at some point, I think realizing that, look, I've got time, I've got opportunity, I've got ideas, right? Why not take advantage of this time instead of sitting here and sulking? Let me at least do something fun and let's see what comes of it. And in some situations, and again, not everybody's going to build an 800,000 subscriber YouTube channel, but nevertheless, right? right there's a tremendous opportunity you to see that as an opportunity and to use that time. So well done. Thank you. You know, I've never been able to just do nothing. I've always had mm. to be productive. 
like creatively productive. Even when I was working, you know, at Disney, there was a period where I had a job which I did not enjoy. And so during that time, I wrote a novel. It wasn't very good, but I right. wrote a novel and I learned right. a lot during that time and I enjoyed the process. So even <laughs> if I don't think it's going to go anywhere, I still always have to be creating something. So I think that is important. That's good. And again, I think what you're illustrating is another quality here. It's an entrepreneurial quality. There's a phrase that I learned at a TED Talk, the most cliche thing you can say, I think, ever, right? It's a phrase called enthusiastic skepticism. And it's this burning sensation that you always have to be doing something to either make something better or to improve on something or to create something. And this is clearly evidence of that succeeding. So let's talk about the channel and let's talk about, okay, turning it into an actual revenue stream into a job. So how do you make a living from the channel? Is it sustainable? Well, I guess you'll have to ask me in five years if <laughs> yeah. it's sustainable. Fair enough. The answer is yes, I think so. I have several revenue streams kind of coming in from the channel. Obviously, ads that YouTube plays on the channel, and then sponsors sponsoring videos. And then I have a Patreon, which they're really kind of the core of how the income, they're my I know that I'm going to make this each month. And so I can kind of plan my life around that and plan the channel around that and go out and buy $50 worth of cherries, which is what I did the other day. (laughs) Cherries are very expensive, by the way. (laughs) But is it sustainable? I mean, I think that my creating videos is fairly sustainable. There's no way I'm going to run out of recipes anytime soon. I have a list of 200 ideas of recipes and history to talk about. So putting out one a week, that's almost four years worth of content. And it grows every day because people keep sending me things and I find old cookbooks and I open them and there are hundreds of recipes in every old cookbook, you know, so there's plenty of content. The question will become, because I'm the one doing it. So when do I burn out? You know, when am I not having fun anymore or whatever? And also, you know, people change. They watch something for a while and then they move on to something else. Somebody else will come along and do it better than I am or be different or just new and then it'll evaporate. So I need to always kind of be evolving and looking for, not necessarily right now, but looking for new opportunities. I'm going to be starting a new kind of series on the channel where I'm making historic cocktails and drinks and beers and talking about that history and other history in general. And so just finding new ways to change things up, I think is important to keep it viable. Yeah. yeah, Diversification is key. And so like roughly speaking, how much effort do you put in now to ensure the continuity of the channel? A ton. I work (laughs) probably depending on the week, anywhere from 50 to 70 hours a week actually on the channel. But then there's also, it's kind of like when you're lying down watching TV, you're answering emails, you're answering Instagram and Twitter, and it's pretty constant. So that's what I mean by how sustainable, when do I burn out? I don't know. I'm really enjoying it right now, but I can definitely see a time where I'm like, I can't keep this pace up. The nice thing is, then I just go to putting out one video every two weeks or just changing it up, making some of the videos shorter or whatever. I don't think that's any time soon, but that could happen. A couple more questions for you. Most folks that I speak to will say something like, yeah, I really like you know, this 
field or this idea, this hobby I have, or I'm really good at painting or whatever it is. But everything's been said online. Everything's been done. Everything's been recorded. Everything's been uploaded. Everything's been shared. What's your take on that? Because you took on cooking, right? Cooking and baking, like arguably a saturated theme, right? Online, especially, right? What do you say to folks who have passions, who have ideas, who want to share, but can't get past that feeling of why would my ideas stand out in what is seemingly an infinite sea of the same thing? Right. So I've heard that you have to either be first, best, or different. And I'm not the first person to do this. I don't even think I'm the best person to do this. Definitely not when it comes to cooking. <laughs> I'm not yeah. a professional chef. For, you know, I mean, Alton Brown yeah. does it a lot better than I do. Mm-hmm. But I am different. And that's the cool thing with YouTube. It is YouTube. It is all about the person who is in front of the camera. Someone could cover the exact same dish and the exact same history that I do. And the videos will be different because I bring my personality to it. And I say this because I was this way, especially when I first started. I think that people are hesitant to bring their personality to their work. Because when you do that, people are going to judge you. And that's hard. And people aren't nice sometimes on the internet. And I get you talk too much all the time. And I do. I talk in my videos for 19 minutes nonstop. There is no downtime. (laughs) And I have an annoying voice. I have this or your jokes aren't (laughs) funny. You just get all of that. And I think that people are hesitant to put themselves out there like that. And I get it. But that is also what makes people watch because that's interesting. Having that personality is interesting. So everything has already been said, but it hasn't been said by you. Mm -hmm. And so you have to figure out, well, what makes my take on this different? The other cool thing that you can do is take your passion and you do have to be passionate about it. You can't make a channel or write a book or do anything that is sustainable because you think that other people will think it's an interesting topic because you will burn out within (laughs) no time. You have to be interested in it. But taking what you're interested in and marrying it to something else that you're interested in. I was interested in food. I was super interested in history. I brought those two things together. So if you bring things together, it just puts a new twist on stuff. And so there's infinite content out there to be made. Super compelling. And so last question for you, and this is an interesting one. So let's say you've won some folks over, right? You've convinced them that they've got an idea, they've got personality, they've got their unique take on it. They're still hesitant to kind of take the next step. What do you recommend for them to do first? What's the first thing? Let's say someone's been thinking about this. You've now convinced them to do it, right? What's the first thing they should do when they're done listening to the show? So you actually have to do two things at the same time. Okay. One is start learning everything you possibly can, especially the stuff that you don't want to learn. For me, that was the technical side of a YouTube channel. You have to get your lighting right. I'm still working on it. You have to get your sound right. That's the most important thing. You have to learn how to edit. You have to learn all of these things that maybe don't interest you, but that's part of the deal. The other thing that you have to do is set a date for when you're going to post your first video, when you're going to finish your novel, when you're going to send those first songs out to 
whoever, because if you don't make that date, you'll never get there. You will put it off forever because you can always learn more. You can Mm -hmm. always get better. So you have to set that date and be like, okay, this is where I am. Now it's going out. You want to get the best thing that you can. And so don't put that date next week, put it a little bit, you know, two or three months into the future, but you got to actually put stuff out there. And that's actually how you'll get better fastest is by other people's criticism. Got it. Max Miller, congratulations on all your success. And thanks so much for sharing your story and sharing tips with the folks and for being a guest on Forever Employable Stories. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of Forever Employable Stories. If you enjoyed the show and learned something new, tell a friend. The best way you can help us grow is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and send this episode to someone you think can benefit from it. As always, feel free to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Do you know someone who has a great Forever Employable story? Someone who has built a platform and an audience using their unique skills and experience? If so, I want to talk to them. Send me a note at jeff at gothealth.co and let me know.